Metro at both of our campuses. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, it's funny, sometimes when people ask me about what I do for a living, I can say one of a couple things to them. I can tell them that I am a builder and I build houses and buildings like this, and, and usually that goes over pretty well, or I can tell them that I am a pastor. And that conversation goes totally different. It really does. Because like, if I tell them, like, I'm a builder, I'm a general contractor, you know, they engage and they kind of ask me about what kinds of things I have built and what I do and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but when I tell them I am a pastor, it's like a, a lead brick has been dropped into the conversation. It's just like a crash and burn. It's like if you're on the airplane and you know, a lady sit next to you and you go, hey, how are you? Good. What do you do? And, and they tell you. And then you know, she says, how do you, what do you do for a living? And if I say... Well, I'm a pastor. It is like up comes the book and staring out the window and the whole conversation is just over. And so I have been thinking about a new approach to this whole conversational thing when people ask me about this. And so I've been thinking that what I should say is something like this. When somebody says, well, what do you do for a living? And I think I should say something like, well, I'm so glad that you asked because actually I work for a global company, a global enterprise. And now picture how this conversation would go, right? So this lady asked, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I actually work for a global enterprise. And then she'd say, do you? I'd say, yes, I do. It's, it's really a worldwide venture. We have outlets in virtually every nation around the world on every single continent. It is really amazing. And we're sending out more and more representatives all across the world all the time. What? That is amazing. What, what, what do you guys actually do? Well, uh, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters, and we have feeding stations and programs and schools and education programs and orphanages. We do a ton of marriage work. Really, we're into reconstruction of the family. You don't say. That is amazing. Well, we do all sorts of other things, too, like we do human justice work. Basically, we look after people from birth until death, and we mainly deal in areas of emotive, cognitive, relational, and behavioral modifications. <laughs> Where do you work? For the church, right? For the church. Now, that would be a good conversation, right? Um, but let's be honest. People around the world over aren't too into religious people. They're not. They're, they're simply not. And so sometimes I'll try to explain when, when the topic of religion or me being a pastor comes up, I'll try to explain to them a little bit about what I'm going to try to attempt to explain to you tonight. I try to explain to people that Jesus did not come to make people into religious people. He did not come for that reason. Now, don't get me wrong, though. Friends, a lot of times people say, well, religion's bad, and I'm not religious, and, and Christians have, have said this, and I've said this. Oh, I'm not religious. But, but listen, religion is not necessarily a bad thing. The word religion actually comes from a Latin word, re ligere, li, re ligere. And ligere literally means, listen, to, to, to bind or to connect, or to have reverence. And so when, when you have re in there, re means to do over or to reconnect, right? And so religion literally means to rebind to God, or 
to reconnect to God or to have reverence again for God. And that doesn't seem like such a bad thing, does it? No, it doesn't. But friends, listen, in my own spiritual journey, I have been guilty like so many other people in the world of just ditching on uh, religion. Uh, maybe Christianity for me uh, is much more of a relationship than a religion. But it is, in a sense, still a religion. And the root of it is a good thing to reconnect with God. But because of my immaturity uh, over the years, maybe I've just kind of dismissed all of that. Uh, but I think it is a good thing to reconnect to God. Y'all with me so far? It's a good thing. But the problem is this, that when people start to think about religion, they, they start to think that religious people and religion in general is mindless, that it's unthoughtful, and there's really not much meaning to it. Most people, when you start to think about this idea of, of religion, they start to think about the dangers of religion uh, when it becomes an external sort of a thing, when it becomes a show sort of a thing. And, and the truth is, if, I don't know if you're a Christian today in this room or not, uh, but Jesus warned us against the wrong kind of religion, a poisonous kind of religion. Do you, do you realize this? He, he says there are different kinds of religions out there. And there's a religion that is good, that connects you to God, and then there's a religion that separates you from God, that literally destroys your soul when you think you're doing good for your soul, but you're actually taking your soul away from the heartbeat of God. And so he warns us over and over about the dangers of religion that gets out in front of your relationship with God. He warns us over and over against thinking that religion alone can save you, that being part of some sort of religious system, even a system like this here at Metro, there's a danger in thinking that just because you are part of a good church makes you saved in some way or makes you right with God in some way. But friends, it doesn't. It doesn't. In, in fact, um, while Christianity is a world religion, in practice though, in essence though, Christianity is not really a religion. It is a relationship with your creator. It is a relationship with God, your father. And Jesus, the son, did not come into this world to make you religious or to make me religious. He came in this, into this world to reconnect you to God, to make you right with God, to show you who he is, to teach you to love him and to have a relationship that is deep and abiding with him, one that is truly out of reverence and awe for what he has done for you. So in essence, Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship. And so we're in this series called Poisonous. And we've been talking about these things that rattle around in our soul, right? The darkness that's in you and that's in me. If we're honest, we would all have to admit that there are things in us that we don't like about us. There are these things like greed or, or lust or selfishness or jealousy like we talked about, or negativity, or a critical spirit that really do take us away from God. And if we're not careful, it will suck the life right out of you, won't it, friends? Anybody in the room want to admit it? There are these things that just, they, they cause our spirit to die. They cause our soul to shrivel up on the inside. And so we've been getting around this idea that it's not about what's going on in somebody else's life, not what's going on in our spouse's life, or our parents' life, or our kids' life. It is about what's going on in us. And, and we've been talking about the poison within. And, and so today, if it's okay with you, I want to talk about a very dangerous poison. The poison of religion. When that religion 
gets out ahead of a relationship with God. I want to talk about the poison of religion because I can't think of much more that will destroy your soul than, than religion gone bad, than religion that takes the place of a relationship with God. And so here, here's where I want to start, and if it's okay with you at both of our campuses, really, um, I'm going to invite you to do something that's a little bit risky, a little bit dangerous. We do it sometimes around here. Um, and this may be weird to some of you because uh, you're, you might be new to the Christian faith and but I'm gonna ask you to actually get up out of your seat because of the topic we wanna to talk about today, a religion that gets out ahead of your relationship with God. I just wanna ask everybody, young and old alike, would you get up out of your seat and get on your knees before God? And I just wanna lead us together in prayer. And if you can't do this physically, we understand. There's no pressure. Um, but, but all across this place, let's just get on our knees before God. Now, before we bow in prayer, look at me real quick. All across this room at both campuses, look at me. We bow out of humility before God. We say, God, we need you. God, I want to know you. God, I don't want to just know about you. It's a way of positioning our soul to hear from God in a different way. It's humility before God. And so with that understanding, just at both of our campuses, let me lead you before God. So Father in heaven, um, just over the next couple moments, humbly before you, we want to hear from you, God. We, we, we don't want to just come and listen to another guy ramble on. But God, we want you to intersect our life. God, we want you to grow up our soul a little bit. For some in this room, they, they've come in and, and they're far from you, God, and they're searching. And so maybe today, God, you would speak to them as if it was the very first time. Others, God, who might, you know, try to, try to get this relationship right with you for a long time. They've been, they've been walking with you for a long time and they feel stale. They feel old. They feel like there's, like there's nothing going on in their soul. I, I just pray, God, that somehow you would strip away the confines of religion and that you would put relationship to be the foremost of what they have with you. So God, would you speak into this room? Every single person here, God, we ask that you would speak. Speak, oh God, say this to him. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, thank you guys so much. So here's where we begin. I want to take you to one of the most powerful examples of poisonous religion in all of the scriptures, and I just want to set up the context uh, for you a little bit. Uh, the Apostle Paul, we're going to do like an old school Bible study a little bit tonight. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, a great missionary, starts churches all across the Roman world. Uh, God is using this man to do incredible things. He has this radical transformation. At one point, he is far, far from the heart of God. He meets God like some of you in this room have met God, and his whole life changed. His whole mission changed. And he starts to literally plant churches, start little tiny churches. And he would go to a city, and he would win some people to Jesus, and these people would start to grow and take their next steps, and he would stay there long enough to figure out who God is calling to lead that church, and he would empower them to lead, and then he would go on and start another uh, little little church, right? Another community of faith. And he did this in the heart of the Roman Greek world, in, in this 
very, very pagan world. And one of the churches he started was a church in this Roman city called Galatia. Maybe you've heard of it. It's located in, in today's world right near the capital of the country of Turkey. And so it's a real place with real people. It was the heart of the Roman Empire, and, and it was a pagan, pagan land. And Paul goes into this, this city, and he begins to tell people about a relationship with God through Jesus. And he, and he comes into a very religious culture where they're worshiping all of these false gods. And, and he comes in and says, no, 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 the way to God is through Jesus. And so he begins to explain this and to teach this into their culture. And people start to come to God and faith in God through, through Jesus. And their lives begin to change. They start connecting to this little church called the Galatian Church. And it starts to grow and grow and grow. And it begins to thrive in this very anti-Christian world. And all of these people are coming to faith. And eventually... Paul leaves that church and he goes on to the next church and this church is thriving for a little while. But then Paul hears some news about his little church at Galatia and they were having all kinds of problems because apparently uh, when Paul left, this group of what we would call false teachers comes in and starts teaching them that there is another way to get to God. And, they, and these people, if you read the scriptures, they were called Judaizers. Have you heard of this? Judaizers. And these Judaizers were saying, hey, 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 listen, we're all about Jesus and we're all about what Paul talked and we think he's great and we think Jesus is great, but, but Paul didn't quite have the full picture. Jesus didn't even quite have the full picture. We, we think that you need Jesus plus something else to be saved. Now, pause for a second. Some of you were here for a little series we did. And, and we talked about this, this idea of Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Anybody remember that? Anybody? It's Jesus plus nothing. And there are all kinds of people, just like back then, just like now, that come along and say, no, 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 no. Uh, it's Jesus plus a whole bunch of other things. And so, uh, and so these Judaizers come along and they say, what you need is Jesus plus Plus, you need to be Jewish in your tradition. You need to be Jewish in your expression of faith. And they're going, wait, wait, we thought it was Jesus alone that saves us. And they would be right, correct? They would be right. But these teachers start to convince them that it's Jesus plus the way you dress. It is Jesus plus the way that you eat. It is Jesus plus the celebrations of the, of the holidays that you have. It is Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus all of these religious devotions. And, and in this church of, of, at Galatia, at the city of Galatia, in Galatians chapter one, Paul hears about this and, and they are saying, these Judaizers are saying, get this, they say you need Jesus plus all of these Jewish traditions and specifically, you need to be circumcised. You need to be circumcised. But the problem is that these people weren't Jewish at all. They didn't eat like Jews. They didn't dress like Jews. They didn't have the political system of the Jews. They didn't uh, have the religious law of the Hebrew people. They didn't have the pecking order of Judaism. And they weren't circumcised like Hebrew people. So, men in the room, men in the room. We are so lucky. We live in a culture where most men are circumcised when they're babies because I don't remember anything from when I was a baby. 
Praise God for that, okay? Um, but, but, but listen, uh, it, just think about the tension uh, that this creates among the men. Because you can imagine, if these men in this church of Galatia, uh, they, they're coming from a Roman Greek God kind of a background, and, and they don't have any of this Jewishness in, in their blood, in their, in their past, and they're definitely not circumcised, but they love Jesus, now imagine if this is you, men, and you love Jesus, and your spiritual leaders, who you love, who you trust, start to say, hey, it is great that you love Jesus, but you need a next step, men. You need to be circumcised. That would be a tough sell, men. That would be a tough sell. Gentlemen, let's just be completely honest. Uh, I would hate to introduce this into our church culture. Uh, I mean, men, let's just be honest. Uh, I can hardly get some of you to get baptized. And all that means is getting in the water and getting a little bit wet. But could you imagine if I say, hey, your next step is to be circumcised. So immediately after service, I'm going to grab a scalpel. And uh, you're going to come forward and you're going to drop your drawers and we're going to take care of this right here, right now. How do you think that would go over? And so these people had this tension going on because here's the tension. They really did love God. They really did love Jesus. And they're looking toward their Jewish brothers going, well, I'm not what you are, but, but we both have Jesus in common. Am I missing something? Am I got, do I got it wrong here? Is it really Jesus plus something else? And listen to Paul's reaction to this. Listen to this. He, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I am, what's this word? I am astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, he says, I'm shocked. You know that it is by grace and grace alone that you are saved, and yet you're turning to something else. He says, I'm shocked at you. I'm astonished. You think that you can be made right with God through anything other than faith? You think you are so good? You think you can act so good or do something that is so good to somehow impress a holy and perfect God that somehow that will make you saved? He says, are you crazy? He says, giving to God money, it doesn't save you. He says, serving God doesn't save you. I mean, serving in Metro Kids doesn't even save you. It should save you automatically. It should be a pass to heaven, but, but it's not, right? Doing good deeds is not a pass to heaven. He says, your goodness can never buy you a pass to heaven because why? It is through faith and faith alone that you are saved. Faith and faith alone. And so the poison, yeah. And so the poison of religion, Paul uses this word pervert. Did you catch that in there? It's a strong word, isn't it? It's the word pervert. It's a Greek word. Um, it's metastropho, metastropho, metastropho. And, and it literally means to pervert, to corrupt, to distort, or to infuse with poison. It, think of it this way. It's taking something that's really kind of good, really kind of good, and messing with it. And taking something that's meant to be good and wholesome and, and healthy for your soul and diluting it with something that will eventually kill you. Christ plus something is not the Christian message at all. It is Christ plus nothing that saves you. 
And Paul comes down on them and he says, you got to get this right. And so what I'd like to do over the next few moments is I want to talk about two of the most common ingredients of a poisonous kind of religion that puts religion out front of a relationship. And anytime you see a poisonous religion, you're going to see two consistent elements. I think every single time they're in my life and they're probably in some of yours. And, here, and here's the first one. We need to talk about this a little bit. The poison of religion, listen, a poisonous religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. A poisonous religion, it focuses on the outside of who you are rather than on the inside. It is an outward expression based rather than an inward transformation. It's look at how I can perform. Look at me and see how good I am. Look at me how much better I am than you. Look at how many more steps I have taken than you. Look how much further in faith than I am in you. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? It is this external sort of base. And it's this whole idea that, that somehow, in some way, that you personally can bridge your gap between you and God. It's thinking that in all of your brokenness, despite all of your sin, despite all of your waywardness, that somehow, if you just try hard enough, you're going to be able to jump this gap and get over to God on your own. And friends, that is a poisonous religion. It'll end up beating you into the grave because you and me, no matter how hard we try, the scripture says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. How are you doing at being perfect so far? It's not gonna happen. And it will ruin you from the inside out. It is reducing Christianity to a bunch of rules. It is bringing Christianity down to this list of do's and don'ts. And, 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 and friends, it was, it's just as common now as it was then. Uh, true story, ter- terrible story, uh, terrible story. I remember when I was a kid, I had to be about uh, 17 years old, and I was uh, relatively new to my commitment to Christ. I gotten serious about my walk with God, and, and I was fired up about God. You know, have you ever seen somebody who's kind of fired up about God? Anybody in the room ever seen somebody who's fired up about God? Anybody? They're weird. Those people are weird. I mean, it's just true. And I was weird, you know, I really was. And and so, but but I met well, I met well. And and so uh, back in the day, I was was on fire and I was trying to live out my faith and I was really concerned about people obeying what I thought were the rules of Christianity. I was concerned about you obeying the rules that I was supposed to somehow obey. And now back in the day, uh, we didn't have iPhones with little iBuds. What did we have back in the day? Back in the 80s, we had boom boxes. Right? The cool kids, we had boom boxes, and the bigger, the better, right? And so we would load those suckers up with eight D-volt batteries, remember that, D-sized batteries? It cost like 20 bucks, and you'd fill that thing up, and you'd get like eight hours of listening, listening pleasure, right? And we would put these little cassette tapes in them. Y'all remember this? Uh, tr- true story, uh, long live the 80s, amen, glory to God. Uh, and, and so kids in our youth group, the cool kids, they would bring these, these boom boxes with them, and they'd be jamming to, I don't know, Def Leppard or... Poison, 80s, anybody, anybody, come on, the glory days. And and, and along would come this self-appointed religious police officer, me. And and, and I would say, oh, oh, so nice to have you at youth group today. Uh, Do you know what we talk about in youth group? God. Who are you listening to right now? 
Oh, it's Def Leppard. Oh, it's KISS. Do you know what KISS stands for? Knights in Satan's Service. Nobody ever told you that? And I, honestly, God, true story, I would pop their little cassette tape out, and all of my religious zeal, I would shred it. And now you asked my wife, and she, I swear, I thought, I'd smash it down. And I felt holy. They knew I was a jerk face. And they were right. And I'm ashamed of it now. I probably owe 30 kids Kiss CDs, right? Or Kiss cassettes. It's terrible. Uh, but friends, uh, it, it's true. There, there, there is this group of people, always in religion, uh, that Jesus talked about, that somehow think that they know what's best for everybody else, that go beyond the rules of Scripture, that go beyond the leadership of Scripture, Listen, we already have enough rules. We don't need anybody else making rules for us, right? Right? Is it true? Right? We know that there are things that we have to do and obey. We don't need somebody from the outside. We don't need a religious police. But there were these religious police in Jesus' day. They were called the Pharisees, right? And quite honestly, these Pharisees, uh, they lived pretty upstanding lives. When you look on the outside, you go, wow. Wow, these guys, you know, they kind of got it together. You see, as Christians, uh, we worry about obeying the Big Ten, right? The, the, the Ten Commandments, anybody in the house, you know what I'm talking about? We worry about getting those ten right. Well, they had uh, roughly 613 rules that they had to get right. And you and I, we struggle through the Big Ten, but these folks, they would memorize all 613 rules word for word, and they would try to get it right every time. Like things like, uh, like in the Old Testament part of the law in the Bible, it would say that you can only walk as far as, as, uh, as it becomes not work to you. So they would try to figure out, when do I start to huff and puff by walking? And they would conclude, well, I can walk 1,100 feet, and then I can't walk any further because it becomes work. And so on the Sabbath, I can't work. And so I just stop wherever I'm at. And that was religion. You see where this goes? You see where this goes? But the problem was, it was more of an external demonstration than an internal realization. It was more of an external show than an inward transformation. And let me tell you something. We learn about Jesus. Jesus despised this type of religion. He said it was religion that was broken, a religion that is poisonous. In fact, if... if um, Jesus, if you look at him, he unleashed on the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. I'm just going to share one verse for you. And he just unloads on this outward kind of expression of faith where it really doesn't affect the inside of you. He says there's nothing wrong with getting the outside right because eventually we want to get the outside right. Am I right? Come on, you all with me on this? Eventually you want to clean up some things in your life. But he says if you just clean up the outside but your heart is still from God, guess what? You are still far from God. And so he says this, listen to this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees. And then he, he says this, you hypocrites. Anybody in the room like to be called a hypocrite? I think it's one of the worst insults you can tell somebody. I mean, if you've got any integrity at all in you, when your wife starts going, you are such a hypocrite. You just, there's something in you that just, oh, am I right? Am I right? Because you don't want your kids looking at you thinking you're a hypocrite. You don't want your workers or your fellow employees looking at you thinking you're a hypocrite. It's like one of the worst things. And Jesus says this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he says this, you clean up the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. 
the, the Pharisees were all about luck and they would pray on the street corners and they would pray long and loud so everybody would hear and they, oh God, listen to me. Oh God, I'm so righteous. Or, or they would give their money in such a way that when they'd come into the temple, they'd make a big deal about it. Or, or, or they would dress in such a way to go, look at how I dress and I got every part of the law down and I look better and I'm more modest and I'm more humble. I am so humble. Look at me, how humble I am. Right? And Jesus hated this. He looked at it and said, it is a mockery of your relationship with God because it starts on the inside and it works to the outside, right? As a matter of fact, one time Jesus was entering the temple to church, to go to church. He was going to church with his disciples. This is in Mark chapter 12. I'll just tell you the story. You can go back and look at it later. Mark chapter 12. And he's on his way into church and he notices his something. He's a people watcher. And Jesus is watching all of these people come in and give their money at the temple. Now, it's not like we give money at church. Like we pass a little paint bucket around or you can give online and it's kind of private, it's kind of personal. It's very simple, right? But it wasn't this way in the Jewish temple at all. As a matter of fact, it was a big deal. You would come up these large sets of steps. You're on the open platform. And before you enter the place of worship, you would have these, on both sides, you had these like uh, large containers that looked like upside down trumpets, like this, like, like this, and they were like, uh, kind of like on an angle, and, and they were designed that you would throw your money in, and they would rattle around, and they would go down underneath the surface of the floor. These people were genius. They didn't want anybody to steal the money, so it, it went down to like a safe down below, went to a vault down below, so nobody could steal it, right? And so what happened was, was these people who were these religious people, these sometimes rich religious people, they would come in, and they would say, whoo, this is my time to shine. And, and literally, we're told in the scriptures, but we also know this from history, that, that these people would make a big deal out of their giving. Now, Jesus says, when you give, he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. He says it is deeply personal. It's not meant to be for a show. Absolutely, I can tell people I give. But if it becomes a show of my giving, Jesus says, you've crossed the line. You've crossed the line, right? But what we know is Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But these people were letting everybody know what they were doing. Here's what they would do. They would come in. They'd be dressed to the nines. It's church day. It's like, woo, look at me. And they'd come in and listen to this. They would hire, true story, they would hire trumpet players and tambourine players. Glory to God. They would hire tambourine players to go before them and like, look at Joe Smith is coming into church. And they would just blow their trumpets and everybody would go, oh, Joe's here. And then they would stop in front of these, these upside down trumpet, these, these shafts that would go down. And, and remember that in Roman days, all the coins, all the money was coin, right? And so they would throw their money in. They would like just, and all that would rattle around in these brass kind of, uh, these phones things, right? And so everybody would know like, oh, he really unloaded today. And that was meant to impress. But let me tell you something. Jesus was not impressed. And so he's on his way into church one day with his closest followers. And he pulls off to the side and he goes, hey, come on, come on, come on, get over here. And he's like, come here, come here. And he gets his guys around. He says, now just sit here and watch. And, it, and the scripture says that he, he positions himself directly across from where these people gave their money. And he says, just watch. Just watch. And the scripture says, Jesus watched with his disciples as all of these rich people came in and unloaded their goods. And they were designed to impress. And everybody was like, woo, woo, woo. And then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, it catches Jesus' eye that there is this little old lady. We learn later that she was an impoverished widow. We learn later. 
And she was struggling in life. And she comes in, and among all of this fanfare, she says, oh, oh, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. And this little lady just quietly, very humbly, nobody's looking, no big fanfare, says that she makes her way among all these rich people, all these religious people, all of this fanfare, and says that she very humbly drops two Roman mites into the offering. Another translation would be two small copper coins, two pennies. And then Jesus says, come over here, boys, lean in, lean in, lean in. I'm gonna only tell you, and I'm gonna tell you once. This woman, she gave all that she had. The others, they gave out of their wealth. But this lady gave out of her poverty. And then Jesus says, which do you think is made right with God? Friends, in, in, in so many ways, Metro was born out of my reaction uh, to, to this outward religion that just doesn't work. It was birthed out of this idea of the, some of the churches that I grew up in that were so much around like, look at me if you don't look like us and dress like us and sing our songs and eat the potlucks like we eat the potlucks. If you don't you know, uh, have a preacher that looks like our preacher, then you aren't worth even coming to our church, that you're not even welcomed in our church. And there were these little tiny churches that I think they meant well, but they had become a poisonous religion and they didn't even realize it. That people would come and they would go, I don't, I'm not welcomed here. I'm not good enough to be here. I don't have my act together. I'm telling you right now, if you are not religious, you are welcomed here. I'm telling you right now in this church, if you are religious, you are welcomed here. I'm telling you right now that if you got a lot of money, you are welcomed here. We need you. Uh, if you are poor, if you have no money, you are welcomed here just the same. If you are white, if you are black, if you are tall, if you are short, if you are skinny, if you are fat, if you are red, if you are purple, if you're green, I don't know what you are. If you're married, divorced, single, if you're gay, if you're straight, you are welcomed here. You are welcomed in this place. If you're tattooed or if you're not tattooed, if you're pierced or not pierced, if, if, if you somehow have been like rolling around in the mud for 10 years, or if you're squeaky clean, every one of us, you are welcomed here. The place is level. The, at the foot of the cross, is, it's for everybody, right? Jesus is for everybody. And you may say, well, I, you might go, I don't really have church clothes. I don't really, I don't really have church clothes. Listen, we, uh, we do have a dress code at Metro. We really do. You have to dress, okay? And like, we ask you to cover your private parts. But other than that, get here, okay? Literally, get here. It is not about a show. It is not about look at me, look at me, look at me. It is because that is a pious, poisonous religion that turns people away from God. And we don't want that at all for our church. It is destructive and Jesus hated it. This poisonous religion uh, that focuses on the external rather than the internal will ruin your soul. And it will lead to something else. And here's the second thing. It will lead and promote spiritual pride in your life. I remember one time, uh, right after church, right down the road here, I went to Wendy's for lunch with my little family and uh, we're doing the whole lunch deal and I'm taking care of the tray afterwards and I go up and I'm like dumping it off and this old guy comes up and I have no idea, I'm just kind of weird, I talk to people, totally random, it's just 
what I do. And, and so we're striking up this conversation. Somehow, I don't even know how it happened, but we start talking about church and church life. And eventually I go, well, are you a Christian? And he says, well, yes, I am. And he says, well, are you a Christian? And I say, well, yes, I am. And then I say, well, where do you go to church? And he, you know, kind of, him hauls around a little bit about it, and he says, I don't even remember what church he went to, but he goes, I'll tell you something, though. I'll tell you what kind of church I would never go to. I'd never go to one of those newfangled rock and roll, drum playing, loud music, video, preaching with jeans on, with rips in their jeans, and no tie at all. This guy's going on and on and on. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say about this, you know? True story, true story. And he's like going on and on. And, uh, and, and, and eventually he goes, kind of quiet and leans into me a little bit. He goes, I can tell you one thing. Have you heard of that Metro Church? True story. <laughs> I would never go there. I say, why? I say, why? True story. I say, why? He says, he says well, they don't even preach about Jesus. And I'm like, What? He goes, oh, yeah, they don't even use the Bible there. I'm like, how do you know this? He goes, I just know it. And he's an old guy, you know, and I like old guys. I'm getting there myself. And, and, uh, and I'm like, but have you been there before? Nope. Have you ever met the preacher? Nope. And I'm thinking to myself, good. I said, well, have you ever like gone online? Because I hear that they got all their stuff online for free. You can just check it out. Nope. You ever get a CD? I mean, they got their messages online and you can get a CD for like free. It's like, nope. Let me tell you something. This outward religion leads to a spiritual pride. It just really does, right? It's, it's poisonous all the way through. A poisonous religion that focuses on external things leads to a spiritual pride and it makes us somehow feel better than somebody else, that somehow we are more righteous than somebody else. And let me just tell you something, friends. When you walk with God for a while and you start to move forward in your walk with him, you will fight the spiritual pride. I battle it. You look around and you go, why can't people get together what I've gotten together? Why can't they move forward where I've moved forward? What's wrong with them? And you suddenly start to get puffed up. You suddenly start to kind of well up thinking that you are somehow further along and that God somehow loves you more and God somehow is more pleased with you or more impressed with you than the next guy. In other words, I'm right and they're wrong. It's religious spiritual pride, friends. Like we've got it all figured out and somebody doesn't. So I just want to tell you one more quick story that comes out of the life of Jesus, and then we'll leave it at this. Um, there is a story that uh, speaks of this idea of forgetting, of forgetting what God has done for us, inside of us. And it, it's found in the book of Luke, chapter 7, starting in verse 36. I'm just going to read part of it, make some comments, and, and then we'll wrap it up. But it, here's what it says. Uh, Luke 7, it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he, he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Did you hear this? A woman in that town who was known as the sinner. 
the sinful life, right? Uh, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, remember that these Pharisees were like the most religious guys in the country. They were like the spiritual head. They were like the religious and political leaders of their day, and they had their act together, and they did not associate with these lowlifes called sinners. So most of us here at Metro, we wouldn't be invited to this party. We just wouldn't. But this lady hears that Jesus is there. And so she comes in, and it says that Jesus is reclining at the table. Did you catch that? Because culturally, it's very different than us. See, what we do is we sit at a chair at a table and we kind of all look at each other. Most of the time, when you had money in, in ancient Israel, uh, what, what they had is like a U-shaped table and the servants would serve from inside of the U and all of the guests would align themselves on the outside of the table. And Jesus was reclining at the table and the tables were low to the ground and you just kind of sat there and you ate like this, and there'd be like carpet, like, like rugs, like the rich people would have rugs on the floor, and it was like a, kind of a luxurious thing, like you're just reclining, right? And, and so it says that Jesus is, is, is talking to this crowd, and in comes behind him, this is how his feet gets wet, there, in comes behind him this woman who is struggling with sin. And it says that she's standing behind him, and she starts to weep so uncontrollably that tears are coming down her face and she can't help herself and it begins to what? To wet Jesus' feet. And so eventually Jesus goes, what? what's, what's going on? And we don't know what the backstory is. We don't know if there was some sort of moment of interaction. I don't know. But something must have occurred where she knew about the grace of God from Jesus. And it says that she was so overwhelmed with gratitude for what God had done for her that she gets down and Jesus' feet are behind him and he's kind of going, what is going on? And she starts to go, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry for slobbering all over you and making a big mess. And she goes, oh, I got something that'll fix that. And she pulls out this perfume and it stinks up the whole house. And then it says that this religious man, he's very indignant. He gets upset with this whole deal going down. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a, what is this word? A sinner. Because, because to a Pharisee, to one of these people full of spiritual pride, the closer you got with God, the further you got from people who needed God. You see? The closer you get to God, the more removed you are from everybody else. And you think that somehow you no longer need what they need. That you are above it. And so he doesn't understand the grace of God and the goodness of God. Make sense? Y'all with me on this? And so it says this, Jesus answered him. And you gotta love this. This is the best. <laughs> Jesus is so good. He says, he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Don't you love that? He just, matter of fact, he's like, Simon, he knows what Simon's thinking. Doesn't say he said anything out loud. The Pharisee doesn't say anything out loud. But Jesus looks at him and goes, I know exactly what you are thinking. And I got to tell you something. You ready for what he tells him? This is amazing. He, this guy says, tell me, teacher, because you're going to tell me anyways, right? And then verse 41, look at this. Two people, he tells a parable. What's a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning right? It is a earthly story that keeps, or that, that, that carries the weight of eternity with it. So he tells this story about this situation. He says, 
Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii is basically like more than a day's wage. So kind of in our culture, it'd probably be about two to $300 in our culture right here in the Downriver area. And so it's one owed him 500 denarii and the other owed 50 denarii. This is a lot of money. And so neither of them had money to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both. And then this question, you ready for the question? He says, now which of them will love him more. And Simon Peter, he's cornered. This religious Pharisee, one of the teachers of the people, says to Jesus, well, I, I, suppose, uh, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven, that's who I think would probably love the money lender more. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. You have judged correctly. The whole point of this little story is that when you are forgiven of much, you remember God. You're broken by grace. L listen to what happens at the end here. Jesus explains why he tells this story. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, now listen, he turns toward the woman but is actually talking to the other guy. See what's happening here? He turns toward the woman saying, this is something for you to learn, Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss when I entered, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil or put oil on my head, but, you, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven. Amen. As, as her great love has shown. Listen, because of her sin has been forgiven, her love shows this. But whoever has been forgiven little loves a little. Then Jesus said to her directly, you, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that he can even forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. What makes you right with God? Jesus plus something or faith and faith alone? Faith and faith alone. It's when you realize that you need grace. It says when you have been forgiven much, you will love much. And if you think that God has only done a little for you, you won't even give him a second thought. You will not love him with much. Friends, listen, there is a poisonous kind of religion that gets religion in front of your relationship. And that is dangerous. I have been there. And some of you might be there as well. Where you think somehow, let me put it this way, that you, that you have forgotten you have forgotten what God has done for you. Don't forget. Don't forget. Thank him. Love him. Serve him. Listen, listen, Christian faith is not spelled uh, do. It's not what you have done. It's not what you, like, oh, we don't serve God in order to impress God. No, no, no. The Christian faith is spelled D-O-N-E. It's what Christ has done for you. 
We, we, we don't serve to impress God. We serve because we love God. We don't give because somehow God's gonna be grateful to us and we are gonna buy his favor. No, we, we give because why? We love him and he has been more than good to us. We respond to him not to earn his favor, but to respond to the grace. We fall at his feet. And we shed tears of gratitude, of joy, remembering what he has done for us. Grace. You are saved through grace and grace alone. Amen.